As I mentioned in the greeting, today, of course, is Mother's Day. So once again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers and foster moms and everyone who fulfills a motherly role in the life of someone they love. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. We give thanks to God for you and for all the ways you show up in the world. In the United Methodist Church today is also something called the Festival of the Christian Home, which celebrates, according to our Book of Worship, the gift of Christian homes and affirms the Christian family in its wholeness. With this connection to Mother's Day, uh, the emphasis for this Sunday each year is the important connection between faith and family, between faith and home which makes today the perfect day for the subject that we're talking about. This is week four of our five-week sermon series called Faith Matters. We're spending this Easter season talking about why we believe people need a faith foundation, why it's important to raise our kids and grandkids in the church, why a church home, in our view, is essential to a life of belonging and meaning and purpose. Our frame of reference throughout this series has been a recent study from the Gallup organization revealing that only 47% of Americans today consider themselves to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque, which is an all-time low in the almost 100 years that Gallup has been asking that question. We've been uh, challenging ourselves to think through the basic outline of the Christian message, which is to say uh, we've been talking about the, the gospel, the good news that we have to share with the 53% of Americans who do not have a church home yet. In week one of this series, we talked about our common humanity, the, the great theological truth that we are all created in the image and likeness of God. In week two, we talked about our common problem, which is the problem of sin. And then last week, we talked about our common solution, which is the redemption offered to us in the incarnation, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ. Those first three weeks were a bit abstract, important to be sure, but a bit academic because we were exploring the, the theological foundations of the Christian faith. This week and next are a bit more hands-on, a bit more practical, starting today with the importance of our church home, that, that place where our theological ideas come to life as we live out our faith. The community that we find in the church very well may be the thing that we've missed the most during the pandemic, because as wonderful a blessing as our technology certainly is, virtual connections are simply not the same thing as gathering together in person as a community of faith. And in fact, uh, there's long been a, a pandemic of loneliness in our nation, a challenge that the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated. In February, Harvard University released a report titled Loneliness in America, indicating that one in three Americans face what they called serious loneliness. They defined serious loneliness to mean uh, feeling lonely frequently, almost all the time, or all the time in the four weeks prior to the survey, which was conducted last fall. And they discovered that the, the problem is actually particularly acute in young people aged 18 to 25, among whom over 60% reported 
serious loneliness, while 51% of mothers with young children reported serious loneliness. Now, this is not just an emotional challenge. It has, it has physical impacts as well. You may know that the toll from chronic loneliness is steep. It can include early mortality, depression, anxiety, heart disease, substance abuse, and domestic abuse. The conclusion drawn in the report is that, quote, as a society, we do little to support emerging adults at precisely the time they are dealing with the most defining, stressful decisions of their lives related to work, love, and identity. Now, those of us who have have been around the church a while, know full well that, at its best anyway, the church addresses these very issues. And it turns out that the very smart people at Harvard University apparently realize that as well, because the report goes on to say, quote, we need to, re- we need to return to an idea that is at the heart of, gra- of, a, of many great religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves but we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. To that, I say, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. The church was born in community, grows in community, and lives out its faith in community, all based on the assumption that we have commitments to each other and to God. Throughout this series, we're reading about the earliest church community in the Acts of the Apostles. Last week, uh, we read the end of the first Christian sermon, which was preached by Peter on Pentecost, the day the church was born. Today, we're reading the results of that first sermon. So we're actually going to pick up the reading where we left off last week. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Acts. So those who welcomed his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended and the church was born. Peter preached the first sermon in Christian history, which apparently was wildly successful. After the initial enthusiasm of 3,000 people being baptized, they joined a community of believers where they found a spiritual home and began to grow in their faith. And our passage today shows us that the the earliest church echoes in what we still do today. Being in Christian community is about study and worship. It's about generosity and prayers. 
And even in the earliest days of the church, part of its work was to address this basic human need that we all have and that the the church at its best is really good at providing fellowship. The word is koinonia in Greek, and some observers consider it to be uh, the true miracle of Pentecost because from a diverse gathering, quote-unquote, from every nation under heaven, that's the way Acts 2 verse 5 puts it, a diverse gathering from every nation under heaven, from that group, this, this unified community of disciples is formed, which is to say the Holy Spirit has the, the power to undo the divisions that, that we human beings seem to specialize in. Our passage even mentions breaking bread twice, proof, if you ask me, that there were Methodists among those earliest disciples, which reminds me of an old Methodist preacher story that you've probably heard. <laughs> These three saints of the church from three very different Christian traditions all died and went to heaven. And each of them brought with them uh, a cherished symbol of their faith. And so the first was a devout Catholic man, and he showed up at the pearly gates with rosary beads, which had been a really important part of his uh, spiritual practice. The second was a very faithful Baptist woman like my mammy who had taught Sunday school for decades and who read the scriptures first thing in the morning and last thing at night. So of course, what did she bring? She brought her Bible, which was well-worn and tattered from a lifetime of use. The last was a, a lifelong Methodist, a deeply committed and devout Methodist. She had served on every committee in the church over the years. She had gone on countless mission trips with the youth group and with the whole church. She had she sang in the choir until shortly before her death, and she had raised her kids and her grandkids in the church. She showed up at the gates and offered St. Peter some of her green bean casserole. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. Every church that I've ever served in, Methodist Church now, has had amazing potluck meals. And I've spent time in a bunch of different denominations. Sharing a meal has been the backbone of fellowship in every church of every kind that I've ever called home. And according to Acts, it's actually an essential feature of our theology of community, along with worship and study and generosity and prayers. The story of Acts is very much the story of how the Holy Spirit creates Christian community. Which brings me back to our theologian for today. So far in this series, uh, we've been featuring a a different theologian each week. We've talked about the church's earliest theologian, a man named Irenaeus. Uh, We talked about a 19th century Quaker theologian named Lucretia Mott. We talked about a a 20th century Methodist theologian named James Cone. Today, uh, we're talking about a contemporary theologian and one of my professors at Perkins School of Theology at SMU, uh, Elaine Heath, who confirmed when I reached out to her this week that I was in fact her favorite student of all time. <laughs> now, she didn't say it in, in, in so many words exactly, but I, I knew that's what she, what she meant. I think she's going to be watching this, so hi, Elaine. 
Elaine is a, a Methodist preacher and a theologian who taught evangelism at Perkins for 11 years before becoming dean at Duke Divinity School. After retiring from Duke, she co-founded a, a nonprofit institution called the Neighborhood Seminary to provide theological and practical and spiritual formation for lay people to help equip them to do the work of Christ in their local communities. Elaine's particular emphasis is intentional Christian community, building on the concepts of the founder of Methodism, John Wesley's original small groups, which were designed to reform and reinvigorate the Church of England in the 18th century. Wesley's vision was to foster a community among small groups of committed disciples who would bring new passion uh, to the church and transformation to their society. In 2017, Dr. Heath wrote a book called Five Means of Grace, Experience God's Love the Wesleyan Way. If your Sunday school class or small group is looking for its next study, you might consider this book. It's terrific. Uh, The five practices that she explores in the book are prayer, searching the scriptures, the Lord's, prayer, uh, the Lord's Supper, fasting, and then something that Wesley called Christian conferencing. And that, that last one specifically refers to small groups, but it applies to the concept of Christian community in general. Now, there are obviously lots of groups to which we can and do belong, and lots of, of worthwhile places where we find community, civic groups and business groups, fraternities and sororities, neighborhood groups, scouts, band, sports, dance, and cheer groups. But, but Christian community is different. First, because it deepens our relationship with God, which is our most important relationship. Second, because it, it transforms us. And third, because it has the power to transform the world around us. All of which makes, makes Christian community the most vital, essential, and life-giving group to which we belong. For Elaine Heath, there are three essential elements that mark true Christian community. First, uh, it is gathered in the name of Jesus. And while this may seem like an obvious point, this is no small point, because being clear in whose name we're gathered helps us look past the many things that could divide us a unity that's been a consistent theme here at Christ United for a while now. The second thing, and all these uh, bullet points are, are quotes from her book, the practices of the group foster deep spiritual friendships that lead to growth in personal and corporate holiness and genuine community. Through worship and study and conversation and service work and, yes, breaking bread together, our faith grows best in community. I would argue that this is the goal, the purpose of koinonia, Christian fellowship, growing in love for God and others uh, through practices that deepen our connection with each other. And with so much of the world so adept at stoking suspicion and fear and division, this is a, a most countercultural way to show up in the world. And then finally, uh, the group is engaged in missional ministry beyond itself, thus, thus it is canonic. That's a Greek word that means self-giving. It's from Philippians 2. I love the way that Elaine Heath 
articulates this, this aspect of our theology. We gather in the name of Christ. We grow in our faith. We get out of ourselves. That's what it means to be in Christian community. It's redemptive. It's transformative. It gives our lives meaning and purpose and a vital sense of belonging that meets one of the most basic human needs. And as important as our theological foundation surely is, it may very well be that that the community of believers is the most compelling, most life-giving gift that we have to offer to the one in three Americans today, to the 60% of young adults, to the 51% of mothers with young children who face serious loneliness. It may be the the strongest invitation we can offer to the 53% of Americans who do not currently have a faith community. The day Whitney and I officially became Methodists at Arapahoe United Methodist Church more than 20 years ago now, we joined with an older couple named Joe and Nelda Williams. We joined on the same day. We went to the same new member reception a couple of nights before. We were young adults at the time. We were not yet married. We didn't have kids yet, obviously. We were immersed in our careers. Whitney had moved from Ann Arbor, Michigan, far from family and friends. We didn't necessarily realize it at the time or really know how to articulate it this way at the time, but we we badly needed the kind of community that only the church offers. At Arapahoe, it was the custom to join the church at the end of the worship service. Uh, Just before the benediction, you would walk down in front of the whole church and you said something and they said something in response. That day, Whitney and I and Joe and Nelda went to the front of the church during the singing of the closing hymn. And when we did, members of Joe and Nelda's Sunday school class gathered around them Uh, and us, as we officially became part of the community of faith. And every week, for many years, (laughs) we sat one pew in front of Joe and Nelda at the 11 a.m. service. They always got there before we did, so we always knew where to sit. Every week, we would smile and wave and shake hands during the greeting time. We would notice when they weren't there and vice versa, which is no small thing. Over the years, we were part of a true koinonia as they they cheered us on through life events like getting married and my hearing a call to ordained ministry and having our first child and having him baptized. Together, we worshiped and we served and we attended church events and we we shared a portion of our spiritual journeys in a unique way that only Christian community can foster. When Whitney and I were asked to share our testimony one year during the stewardship season, we talked about Joe and Nelda, how they were like grandparent figures for us as we built our life together in our church home. A decade later, shortly before our family was moved to serve another church, Whitney, uh, Whitney and I learned that Joe had died. His funeral was in the middle of the day during the week. Whitney took off work, and we attended his, his funeral together, sitting in our usual place that we this time had defined without Joe and Nelda marking our spot. And we were grateful for having known him 
and for having been in Christian fellowship together for a season of our lives. Friends, our faith matters, at least in part, because it is the best cure that I know for the pandemic of loneliness that our society is battling. This is where we find our common home, a fellowship of disciples made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as we find a home in this place, may we help others find their place here too. Amen.